welcome to Oaken Bros. This is Eric. And I'm Michael. And on today's episode of Oaken Bros, we have a very, very special guest, Mr. Sid Gannis. Sid is the is a former board of director for Marvel Entertainment. He is the former president of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. The Oscars. He, he's the, the Oscars for those people not in the know. He is a former he is the former president of Paramount Pictures, where he oversaw small really rarely known films like Top Gun, Fatal Attraction, Ghost, and Forrest Gump. He's currently runs Out of the Blue Entertainment, uh, and he was the executive producer for movies such as Big Daddy, Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo. He Mr. literally Deeds. told you just to, to not over. I have it, one Michael. more. Wait, wait. I'm going to segue into the next thing. <laughs> Hold on. I literally just – I this is a quarter of what I really even wanted to say. And Akilah in the B, and he was the former senior VP of Lucasfilm, where he oversaw marketing for – Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, and the Indiana Jones films. And that really gets me into where I want to go right now, Sid. I was cleaning out my bedroom. I literally, when I left my mom and dad's house to come live with Sharon, um, I left everything where it was. And about a month ago, so like 15 years later, my mom's like, you have to clean out your bedroom. So I cleaned out my bedroom. I, it's, it's a true story. This was a month ago. And I found this. And I think you sent this to us. This was when Lucasfilm was moving Okay, this yeah. when they moved down Lancashire. Okay, sure. And on the back of this, I don't know if you'll know whose handwriting this is, but this is the screenplay for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Is this George Luke? I've been waiting thirty-five years to ask you this, but this is the beat that sheet. That is, my, that's my handwriting. For okay, sure. okay. And it's probably I picked. I I didn't realize I sent that to you, Michael. I, I, <laughs> I I'm sure I had a stack of them on my desk, and I was making notes on the script or something. Yes, and I, I was I did my notes, and and then I said, and then by mistake. Now I I, listen that that this notes. relic this relic has been in my bedroom for since I was a little boy, and send it you to know, Lucas and Spielberg. Don't you know? Sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> Steve well, and George, us, can you take us to uh, that before, time before, period? Before you go there, Eric, I want to tell you one of the best days of my life. I came home from kindergarten. I was five years old, and I came home to a box of every Star Wars toy imaginable. And mom said, Sid Gannis sent you this because I told him that you were the biggest Star Wars fan. And, you know, I've thanked you a million times over the years, but thank you so, again for that. Well, box. I have to say this, guys. First of all, hello to both of you. Hello, hello. Sid. Thanks for that ridiculous introduction. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting here thinking, did I do all that stuff? Uh, uh, and... But even more important than hello and thanks to the ridiculous in introduction is, yeah, you got the Star Wars toys because your parents, Phyllis and David, I just plain old like them and they liked me over the years. We were business associates, right? That's how right. I knew them. I mean, through their company. Yep. And we just somehow or other like each other i can't figure it out um and therefore you came into it you know and not, not you as much eric but your brother came yeah. into it and um yeah the, the she i think phyllis said you better send those star wars toys and i did <laughs> and, I, and i and i still have them and i pass them down to my son who is, <laughs> oh, a, is a star wars fanatic but go ahead can eric you, ask the you, question can you take us what to ask, take us to that time period so you were were you head of marketing at Lucasfilm? Um, in those days. I, I, I got to Lucasfilm. Well, there's a little bit of a story. Can I? Yeah, please. This is, what this, it's is, all about. this is what it's about. Um, 
years before I got to Lucasfilm. I got to Lucasfilm in 1979. But a few years before that, my friend, my old friend, Francis Coppola, uh, you know, young, upcoming director in those days, but an old friend of mine from the time he made his first film, You're a Big Boy Now, was making Finian's Rainbow on the lot at one. And I had just moved to California from New York City. And Francis said to me, uh, hey, what are you doing at lunchtime? I said, you know, what am I doing? He said, come to the screening room, come to screening room number three. I want to show you a little short film by a friend of mine. Off I went to a screening room with a couple of other people. And we watched the short uh, THX 1138 4EB, it was called. THX 1138 4EB was the whole title of it in those days. And uh, in the back of the room with this little guy, little guy, skinny little guy, um, sitting there quietly. We watched this amazing work that he had done. And at the end of it, you know, we talked about it a little bit with Francis and uh, I was thrilled uh, that I had seen it, and so were the other people in the room. And then he said, "Oh, and this is uh, this is George Lucas. This is the guy who uh, did the short." And I shook hands with him barely. He didn't want to shake hands. He was so kind of shy and <laughs> not interested in much more than making movies. I think. And right. off we went. Off we went. Years Amazing. later, George Lucas called me and said, would you like to come to work at my company? This is after wow. Star Wars, after Star Wars. So right. before uh, Empire Strikes Back went into production, he called and said, would you like to, you know, you'll start out in Los Angeles and then we'll all move to the San Francisco Bay Area, which is where he to this day lives and works. Uh, and I said, yes. I went home, talked to my then wife, uh, Kathy, and uh, we agreed that it would be a good thing to do. And I started at Lucasfilm, which led to Empire Strikes Back, um, the first of the Indiana Jones films, the one that mm -hmm. I put my notes on, um, and uh, and then other movies too, not just the, that series, but behind me somewhere can you see it oh yeah way in the corner you see that that silhouetted image yes in the corner that's a poster hold on you see if i know how to do this right we can see it we saw yeah you yeah, can yeah. see it yeah and then on the bottom you see the red marking on the bottom yeah. of it can well it's a poster for kage musha which is a film that george and francis helped kurosawa make Oh my so, God! You know he did that kind of thing. It wasn't just the big, epics, the big Star was, Wars Raider. Right. Uh, it was other other movies too, like Kagemusha, like um, Haskell Wexler's first directorial movie, uh, and others. It sounds uh, like it was for know, Paul Schrader made a. Movie. Uh, was it Paul Schrader who made? Uh, no, Paul Schrader made Mishima, a Japanese film about um uh right-wing uh japanese activist it sounds Mishima. like it was for so, the love so of we film did that. we did it yeah. we did it all so and yes i was eric to answer your question 
Yeah. I was I was the head of marketing and at that company, the good part of that company was you kind of did what you did when you were an exec type as I was, you you worked with George. So you worked with George on whatever needed to happen. Uh, I was the head of marketing, but I also, you know, on rate on readers produced a uh, documentary a pbs documentary that won me an emmy and so we all the point is we did what we had to do we built ilm it was a great time it was a great time because first of all george was at the top of um well he was at the top of the game because of star wars of course but um he was also this mysterious interesting man who nobody could get to because that shyness that i talked about when we did thx when we uh, looked at thx yeah, I mean that that almost is the way it is today. Not quite, he's broken out of that a little bit now. Finally, but uh, right. but he 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 didn't want to put himself out there. Therefore, I was the one to kind. Of, I, I wasn't his alter ego, of course, but I was his maybe the face of what was going on in the company. He needed mm-hmm. something he didn't mind me. I'm a ham, so you know, give me a microphone and a a microphone and a camera i'm in heaven so um you know i would be the the spokesman i guess you could the, you know, the, the voice end, of lucasfilm the voice of lucasfilm talking for him so much so that one time i every year george has a on july 4th he has a july 4th party at the ranch uh in uh um Northern California in Marin County. It's a July 4th party, big July 4th party. This was many years ago, 1982 or one or something like that. And there was this party and we were all there. And it so happened that I happened to be talking to George and Steven Spielberg and Lucas. Now, two little kids, two boys came up to the two of us, walked right up to me and said, Mr. Lucas, can I have your autograph? <laughs> <laughs> and George was standing right next to me <laughs> with Spielberg. He, of course, loved it that the kid was asking me right. for his autograph. And I said, I said to the kid, I- I'm not George Lucas. He's George Lucas. And the little boy said, no, you're George Lucas. So, okay. <laughs> what were... But that's the way it was there, Michael and, and Eric. What were the conversations like uh, creatively between you and George Lucas? Like, did, did he tell you what he wanted in marketing? Yes. Or was it? Oh, yes. He, it was his decisions. Okay. It was. It was his decision, but it was more than his decision, and I'm very happy about this too. He was interested in my and others, all of us, all of us people in his you know, now growing group of people. Sure. Uh, he was interested, but he knew what he wanted. And he'd give me, let's say, the direction for making advertising or creating a point of view or or a publicity, a, a certain way to express the movie and all that. And, you know, then it was my job to execute it, of course. Um, and then I come back and he was say great man a few words by the way really great or nope 
Not really? <laughs> and then we discuss what he didn't want in death. So he, so he was a man of few words, but, but, but he knew what he wanted. And he was able to, you know, in the, in the personal relationship, in the privacy of uh, the working environment, he was able to say what he wanted. And then it was our job to go out there and do it. ILM, what could be a better example right. than what he did with industrial light and magic and created what visual effects have evolved into to this very day. Oh, he, you know? he started Pixar, right? And then he Steve started, Jobs absolutely yeah. started Pixar. Absolutely. I do have a story about that, Mike. You want to hear? Please. Sure. Right, listen this is to your... this one. Yeah. So now we're there. I'm busy doing my thing, whatever it was I was doing. And Pixar was this tiny little group of I very, very few, I want to say men and women, but I don't think there were any women around there. Right. So a whole bunch of men, a whole bunch of guys. Right. Uh, in, in, in a bunch of cubicles in one of the buildings. And I would often go from the place that I worked to ILM, which was like two buildings away. Mm-hmm. And often I'd walk through the middle building and there were these cubicles with these guys. I knew them. One of them was uh, John Lasseter. Uh, one of them was this wonderful man, Ralph Guggenheim, Ed Catmull. They were all there. Catmull, I mean, all the yeah. guys who eventually, you know, led Pixar were right. there. So one time I was walking back from ILM to my office through the building. Maybe it was raining. Who the heck knows? I don't remember why I was right. walking. And, and Ralph Guggenheimer said, hey, Sid, come on, take a look at this. And they brought me over to a computer, a, 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 a tabletop computer. And a bunch of them were standing there and they pushed the button and there was this animated bee, animated bumblebee flapping around on the screen. And, and it lasted about 15 20 seconds and it was animation so some of it was not finished you know it was line line animation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then it was over and i thought to myself it's a bee it's an animated bee what's the big deal right <laughs> and i said you know i said something like oh great something like that and that's when i discovered that it was computer generated animation it wasn't hand-drawn animation it was it was the first shot (laughs) right it was the first shot so i had to look at this very first shot of what these guys were doing and the rest of course is history so what was the energy like they called that they named the b they called it wally b they called that guy wally b and eventually they made a movie i think called wally b So. so what was the energy like as far as like on campus at, at Lucasfilm, I mean, cause like to foster that type of creation, you know, it's, it's so amazing when you say it's coming from a man of a few words where you're creating Pixar. Like you look at what Pixar is today. You look at the guys that created that. Look at what Star Wars is today. You, you look, you look at all of that stuff. What was the energy like back then? Was it like, you know, the, like the Facebook, like hoodies and like flip-flops type thing or like what what was what was the place like well you said a campus i don't think it was like facebook at all because first 
it was in the 70s, the uh-huh. mid and late 70s and 80s and early 80s. Uh, I mean, I worked there from 1979 to 86. Star Wars was 77. American Graffiti was before that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the atmosphere was. It, it was I don't want to say the word collegial because that's too easy. It was people absolutely in sync with each other i mean absolutely in sync with each other wanting to do this thing because so much of this thing was uncharted you know it was this new american graffiti before before my time american graffiti was totally uncharted in terms of what it did what it did Mm -hmm. musically you know all the stuff that it did and of course star wars obviously and then indie and you know the whole so it was the people there on all levels, the guys at ILM, the scientists, the creative visual effects people at ILM, you know, it's the old story. They'd sit there until two in the morning and and do their thing. And then on Sunday, they'd be there doing their thing again, you know, and it was the team just pulling. And George, in his quietness, wielded a kind of a power. I'm thinking about it as I'm talking to you guys. It was just there. It was, it was, it existed even if it didn't manifest itself in ways that we think of powerful people today. Mm-hmm. It was quiet, it was intense, it was clear, it was sure. And then, you know, if you kind of asked me, I know you didn't just now, but it goes back to George as a kid in, in uh, Modesto, California, um, loving what he loved and going after it, even if his family didn't understand what it was. It was him exploring. Him what did you, exploring. what, what did you, how, what did it take to create a campaign for Star Wars as something as big as Star Wars or Indiana Jones for that matter? What did you come up with? Um, his direction for openers. Mm-hmm. I, I'll give you an, an example. Indeed, you talked about Indiana Jones. Uh, no, uh, Empire Strikes Back. Sure. Empire Strikes Back. He said, because of the tone of the story, he said, I want it to be, I want the poster art now remember in those days there was nothing more important than the poster art even the television and the trailers weren't quite as significant as the mark it's amazing of the movie um he'd say he said gone with the wind i want gone with the wind i I want this to be an epic gone with the wind in the background i want the you know the other elements of the story and sure enough you know we were able to do it. We knew the artist, two artists who could do it. One, one guy, Tom Jung, and the other guy, Drew Struzan. Yeah. And between the two of them, we eventually what was the poster. By the way, it wasn't quite as simple as I said. You know, there were nights that I came home and said, oh, my God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm a failure. It's a failure. He's a failure. You know, the whole, the whole right. disbelief in one and we went back and back and you know fixed it and worked on it and eventually came up with that particular story the poster of gone with the wind but then there was a time 
when I had an idea, talked to George about it, a live action shoot, not stuff from the film, not material from the movie, but a live action shoot for a teaser trailer on, was it Empire Strikes? Could have been Empire Strikes Back or Jedi, but I think it was Empire Strikes Back, where I wanted Darth Vader to um, talk to the audience and be menacing to the audience. Wow. And awesome. we did it. We shot it. We did it. It was a production because, you know, we had to get it right. We shot it at Lucasfilm on one of the stages at Lucasfilm. And we ran it in a theater just to see how it would play. And it completely bombed. I mean, one oh my God. million percent. And in those days, it was it was the, it was one of the indies because Barry Diller, who was running, still running Paramount at that point, was right. there to see the te little teaser. Right. I think it was was it thirty seconds or forty five seconds? No more than that. Um, <laughs> and it ran. And it bombed. And I remember he came up to me. It's the only time a big shot executive scared me. He said, over my dead body. will." <laughs> no, it wasn't Barry Diller. Who was it? Somebody like that. Anyway, um, over my dead body will we run that. Where did your career go? It was Diller at Fox or something because it was. Yeah. Diller. Yeah. Where did I know? Yeah. Did, did Was Paramount Pictures right after that? Did you become president of Paramount right after Lucasfilm? Uh Yes, it was because of the work I did on Raiders that the guys at Paramount, Frank Mancuso, um, <laughs> said, uh, please come. These names, I just want you to mention these names. It's like sitting at the dinner table with my mom and dad and Eric in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Like well, we have Frank Mancuso in the car. So we're picking Spielberg up. Like I don't want to like go into too much, uh, well, you know, confidentiality. I but... mean, it's my career. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's. So what did we, you do? We at know all these names. Yeah. What did you do? What was your what was well, your... hold on, hold, before you go Paramount? Where go did ahead, you Eric. where did you start? So what where was what was your first job in Hollywood? Well, my first job wasn't in Hollywood. First job was in New York City as an office boy. My job was as an office boy for a show business public relations office in the theater district on 44th Street and 8th Avenue. Wow. That was my first job. And my job was getting the coffee mm -hmm. and, you know, cutting out the stuff from the newspapers and learning the business and being interested, not learning the business as much as being really interested in the business. And eventually, you know, saying, yeah, this is something that I really like a lot. That was my first job. 50 bucks a week, Eric. Did you know you were going to be a pre did you want to be a president of a studio one day? Did you have any idea in New York City no. you, you were going to be running no. Paramount? I had no idea. Nor did I ever think nor did I even know what a producer was, but one day <clears throat> somebody said what do you want to do? I said I want to be a producer, but I I Michael I I I, I didn't know what a producer was. But then yeah. I found out. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, where did you after New no, York? <clears throat> Oh, after New York, right? Yeah, after I, I, a total of three years. A long time. Office boy, office boy, junior, junior, junior guy, while still being the office boy. Right. Uh, and then eventually, uh, 20th Century Fox, uh, I heard about a job at 20th Century Fox in New York. Um, 
in their publicity department. And I went for an interview and got the job. And that was my first movie job. And that was in the days of when Cleopatra was being filmed. This is a lot, Michael, before we went on the air, you said you look good and all that stuff. I'm old, baby. <laughs> you look amazing, Sid, honestly. Honestly, I would love to look but, look like that at, at your age. Well, anyway, so. Uh, and not only that, you're sharp as a, sharp as a fox, Sid. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, the stories. Well, you're reminding me of some good times. So uh, some interesting times. Career times really is what you're reminding me of. And it's been okay. So I worked at Fox for uh, in New York City. That Remember, in those days, the headquarters for the movie companies was New York. It wasn't right. LA. Yep. It right. was New York. It was New York. So Fox, Universal, everybody but Disney, Warner mm. Brothers, they were all in New York, the headquarters. And they had studios and California, in Los yeah. Angeles. So I worked at um, Fox uh, and then Columbia Pictures. Uh, I, uh, my pal Bud Rosenthal um, uh, had an opening. He was the boss of Columbia Pictures in the publicity department. And he had an opening in the publicity department. He said, you want to come over to um, Columbia Pictures? And I did. And that was a big move in my life because it was then. I was still very young. I was all of 26 or something, or seven or something like that. Um, and I, I went to Columbia Pictures, and it was then that I started to, um, you know, be with the talent. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was always intrigued by the talent to this day. You know, I'm intrigued by celebrity and art or maybe art and celebrity, say it any way you want. But, um, uh, and it hasn't changed from when I was much, much, much younger. And that's where I met Stanley Kubrick and that's where I met- Oh my God. Know, one after another, you know, many, 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 many of them. Um, and I worked at Columbia for, I think two or three years, great days. Uh, great movies, some fascinating movies, including Kubrick was Dr. Strangelove. Uh, and Kubrick, although he was living in London, he finished the Strangelove in London, but then sailed, because he didn't fly, to New York City and worked with us in the marketing and publicity thing for months, three or four months. And I became friendly with Kubrick and was his friend until, you know, until he passed. Um, but, uh, um, you know, just got deeply and understood that I could talk to talent. And that's something that stuck with me all the way through my career. There were guys later on in my career who'd say, no, 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 I don't want to work with him. I want to work with Sid Gannis. And I thought, why do you want to work with me? What do I, you know, what do I know? I, whatever, whatever it is and whatever it was. Um, so I worked at Columbia and then this, this was the big turn, the, the Hollywood turn. Uh, a company called Seven Arts was a New York company, production company run by a man called Elliot Hyman, uh, a Canadian, a man who had made a lot of money uh, buying film in those days. Now, this is 1963 or something, somewhere right around there. He had bought 
old movies from Warner Brothers and put them on, sold them to television. Wow, what a phenomenon. Made a quadrillion dollars in those days. Had this company and then one, and so I, there I was at this company working for a very nice man named Ed Feldman, who was my boss. Um, and uh, uh, this is where I met Francis Coppola. We produced movies in those days, some movies, some small movies. And Francis, who was a writer, he was a writer, really. And he was he writing for Ray Stark. Yeah, yeah he, he wrote, wrote exactly right. I think it yeah. was, Michael, I think it was Patton that he was writing yeah, was. when I met him. Something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, Elliot Hyman gave him the money to make You're a Big Boy Now, his first real feature. He had made one other for, um, uh, I, for uh, I forgot the name of the guy but he had made one of the uh, kind of a semi-horror film called dementia 13 but then he was making you're a big boy now and that's where francis and myself and my fam and our families became friends but um um it, and then one day so i went home one day had a little tiny baby julie my daughter julia my first daughter julia uh, and i got a call from the chief counsel of Se seven arts he said come on in early tomorrow i said okay why what's up he said we just bought Warner Brothers. And I said, Warner Brothers just bought us? He said, no, 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 we just bought Warner Brothers. So I came in early and sure enough, we bought Warner Brothers. And it was then that they, Elliot Hyman and his son, Ken Hyman, said to me, you wanna to go to the coast. And although what I'm about to tell you is, is not true, I knew better. I liked it to say it this way. I said, the coast. I thought the coast was Coney Island. I didn't realize it was a whole other <laughs> coast. Uh, right. It's not true. I like the story, though. <laughs> it uh, makes sense. It makes sense. Because I hadn't traveled anywhere, you know. Um, and, I, and I said yes and gone home and my wife agreed. And we took our little kid and came to uh, California. California for my first job at Warner Brothers. Got lost the first day going to the studio. Didn't know where to go. Really? Got lost going around town, you know. And uh, They were in Burbank? And they were in Burbank. Yeah. Uh, still are, same place. And worked at Warner Brothers for a number of years. Loved it. Worked for great people, including Terry Semmel and Bob Daly and Frank Wells and Ted Ashley. And what did you do at Warner Brothers, Sid? Um, it was always in the publicity and marketing area, but it turned out to be, it started out in, you know, I was the kid from New York. So actually there was real resentment. The New Yorkers bought Warner Brothers. Right. Now they're sending a bunch of people out here. What do they know about a studio? So it was really rough. The first little while I was in the publicity department, Michael, if you said, what did you do in those days? I don't know. I tried to exist, you know, guys, <laughs> you know, it was not the most pleasant. <laughs> it was not the most pleasant time, but uh, I stuck with it. And eventually here's what happened. So it was that little part of my time, my first time period of time at Warner Brothers. Then I, I, but along the way, that's when I, I told you talent started to come around to me. Steve McQueen was making Bullet. 
Wow. And Steve McQueen, you know, he was kind of like George Lucas, but in a whole different way. He didn't like to talk to anybody either. But, you know, he was strong and silent (laughs) and expressive. And part of his talent was that he was able to put it on, you know, on the screen, of course, by not saying too many words. Mm -hmm. Um, What year was this? What year was this? This was 1973 or something or four, whenever Bullet was. Right somewhere in there in the 70s and you know and and it was and so there was this really good relationship uh that i had with him and the talent and then you know so i worked there for a while but then went off to a company called cinema center film cbs's film company uh, uh, where McQueen was making films along with uh, many others. We made a man called Hawson, Little Big Man, and, and uh, 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 McQueen made The Reavers, and uh, and there were Doris Day films, and, you know, it's a good little CBS company. It, it's existed on and off over the years in various iterations, and I don't think, I'm not sure it exists now anymore. But then Warner Brothers called me back. And here's what they said. They said, we're making the movie Mame, the movie Mame, based mm-hmm. on the Broadway musical Mame, and Lucille Ball is starring in it. And they said, we need somebody who knows the work and can handle Lucy. <laughs> so... It seemed right. Cinema Center was about to close again. You know, right. it was going to close. So uh, I said, okay. And back I went to Warner Brothers. So I went back to Warner Brothers, worked with Lucy. Great, wonderful experience with her, all kinds of stories. Right. She was great. She was great. Right. Um, hold on. Hold on. Let's see if I can do this. Wait a second. I, I have no idea how to do what I'm about to do. So just bear with me, okay? Sure. Take us. Let's see. You're gonna tell flip, me if you see the... Lucy on the wall. You see Lucy? A little to the uh, to your right, or to the other, the other right, yeah, left. Yeah. Yep. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah we got a glimpse of it. Which way? Other way. Other, other way. way. Yeah. Oh my God. Is that you? Absolutely. That's me. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's the only. It's the only celebrity picture I have. I mean, what a celebrity really? picture! I mean, that's. Yeah. I mean, if you if, if I knew Kubrick, believe me, like I'd have I have Quentin Tarantino on my wall, and I've never met him, but like <laughs> okay. that, that's my ultimate goal is to meet and work with Quentin Tarantino. But I digress. But the, the, the thing that I wanted to get to, and almost finished with career stuff, and sure, you know, so Lucy on this special project was what it was, right? But then the guy who ran the whole show, Warner Brothers, said come on, you can be the head of advertising here. I said, well, I, I'm not an advertising person. You know, I don't, you know, I don't know that much about, it. this is way before Lucasfilm now. Right. Uh, he said, come on, don't worry. I'll, I'll show you the ropes. And I worked with this man, Dick Lederer. And, um, and uh, it was in the days of uh, Cool Hand Luke. Wow. And wow. all the president's men, all the president's men, Redford and all the president's men, uh and uh many 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 others uh so what i what i find fascinating is like 
each decade that you worked in the entertainment industry, you found success, right? The seventies, you found success. The eighties, you found success at Lucasfilm. Then the, the second half of the eighties with, with Paramount, what was it like running a studio? I wish I could do it. Here's the answer to your question. I wish I could do it and I do it right. You it said you answer. found Top Gun and Forrest Gump. Like, I think you did it right. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. There's a button there. So what would you, what would you have done differently? Like, how could you have done that differently? I would have been, I, I guess, if you're running the place. You have to run it, right? Right. And you have to run it. So I would run it in a different way and hopefully a better way. And uh, one one that would satisfy me and the people I worked with more. I, I would say that. And the choices I'd make, I'd make differently too. Um, thank goodness for my wife. You know, she's the one. I'd come home and I'd say, oh boy, this is really rough. And uh, I'd, I'd bring home a script and I'd say, hey, please have a look at this. Just tell me what you think. Mm -hmm. And she would. And really and truly, that was, you know, incredibly useful to me doing what I doing what I did and helpful to me. So I do it better. That's all, Eric. It's not that I was terrible. At the well, job, I mean, hindsight at 20, hindsight 2020. What did you, you know? look? Yeah, what did you look for? 2020, of course, I do it. Better. During the Mike Ovitz, like the CAA years, like the I had, there was this great book called Powerhouse. Like Mike Ovitz ran Hollywood in the eighties, right? Like CAA was was it? CAA was huge. I don't know that he ran Hollywood, but he was big, gigantic in Hollywood. Yeah. Right. He made the package, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah. What did you? How did you determine if a script was going to get made or not? How did did you? You obviously read the Top Gun script and the Ghost script, like. When you read it, how did you know that this was it? Um, the only way that I can answer that, Michael, is to tell you, in, you know, it's instinct. It, it's, right. you know, you know, I've, you read a pile of scripts and then there's one of them that just grabs you and that needs to be explored. But it's not just one person it's not just me right it's it's others it's other executives it's other F forrest gump right kevin jones an executive who worked for me when i was running paramount came into my office on a friday afternoon he said he came in with three scripts and a little book uh, uh but i mean a little book it, it was a novel but it was like 150 pages or maybe 180 pages. Mm -hmm. And he said, this movie, Forrest Gump, it's called, is in turnaround from Warner Brothers. Turnaround, turnaround means they're willing to sell it. They're mm -hmm. willing to sell it to get their investment back. They don't want to make it anymore. They're willing to sell it, get their investment. He said, already been written on Forrest Gump and here's the book he said I have to give you the three scripts because you'd be buying the scripts and the mm -hmm. rights but don't read the scripts read the book mm -hmm. and I did just that that weekend this is I'm talking about collaboration here Michael sure it sure yeah me. it was Kevin Jones who who saw it and 
and said, Sid, have a look at this. And I did. I came home that way. And in two days, Saturday and Sunday, I read the short little novel. And it was sensational. I, that it, in, the, the simple sense of what moves me, that's what it's about. The simple sense of what moves me had me absolutely interested in pursuing it. Eventually, we bought it. You know, eventually we were able to buy it. We bought it cheap and we we bought it for cash and we traded a movie that we put in Turnaround also. A movie wow, that was eventually made called Executive Decision, I think, or Executive, executive Action, Decision. Something. Yeah. So executive decision. That was and a was uh, I don't know if that was I don't know if that was a fair trade. <laughs> I don't think it, <laughs> it was it wasn't a fair trade. But, um, that was Joel Silver. Joel Silver did executive decision, I, I think. think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Because it was Warner Brothers. We yes, we it, it was Warner Brothers, by the way, who had Forrest Gump. So was know. Tom Hanks always attached to that? I'm sorry, Eric. Uh, no, absolutely not. When we really? got it, nobody was attached to it. Really? When we bought, when I bought it, nobody was attached to it. <clears throat> so how does Hollywood compare, like in 2020? to to that moment is it the, sure is it the is same different, man. <laughs> so it's not the same it's not the same hollywood to get a movie made to get the job that you got to to have your career path is it is it completely different now why not eric i mean i know the answer is no it's not the same but i also want to say why not if what got me going was interest curiosity you know ability to schmooze around right uh why isn't it the same today people are the same as i was back then right i think it probably is similar but uh very different first of all people want to get places much faster than I then we it back then needed to get places. Mm-hmm. We were an office boy. We were okay being an office boy for three and, years, and right. and and learning the business and watching the business and slowly but surely moving up the thing. I don't know whether that was my middle class upbringing uh, and my my uh, inherent um, need to just be steady as she goes, as opposed to jumping quickly into something unknown something like that whatever it was it's different today people want to move very quickly today i think young kids want to move very very quickly today and and achieve and i kind of understand it it's a way of life and it's uh it's very unfortunate it's not the way it should be there's so much you. to learn the good part of all this fellas is that to this day i am learning i love the fact without without overdoing it without saying i have to sit in front of a computer and look, know how to TikTok away i because i won't and i don't and i won't um i i'm still learning all the time about my business and you know what it is to make movies and the way to cut costs and all that stuff but it, it's different today the atmosphere is different today of course the avenues are completely different today mm-hmm, right. i mean used to open a movie at the very beginning when I was working at 20th Century Fox and we would open a movie back then a zillion years ago we'd open in one theater in Manhattan <laughs> what 
Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> movie on Netflix and is seen by there. and movie on Netflix on a standard Friday night is seen by millions of people, right? Just you know, yeah. by pressing Netflix, upload, by pressing upload, or you know, yeah. watching it on demand. Can you yeah. take a like? I have to ask this because like Go this ahead. is like this is my youth, and it, my youth is the question I'm about to ask. The Adam Sandler days. Uh-huh. The the movies that you Mike, if you want to list the Adam Sandler movies, uh, Mr. Deeds, um, Akilah and the Bee, uh, Big well, Daddy, Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo. I mean, those ha- were just. So, that- you hold on. So you left Paramount, right? And then you went to Columbia, or you started out of the blue. I left Paramount. No, I went to Columbia. I went to okay uh, Columbia even before. Uh, I mean, it was owned by Sony, but it hadn't. We didn't change the name to Sony Pictures until Goober one day. Peter Goober said to me. We're going to change the name of Columbia. We're going to change the name of the company to Sony Pictures. And of course, I said to him, Peter, what do you want to do that for? It's Sony makes televisions. What do you want to? What do you want to change the movie company's name to Sony Pictures? Well, he changed it. <laughs> I was wrong. Crazy. <laughs> uh, uh, but I did. I went to Sony, and that was a good job too. It was another really good gig because I was. Uh, yeah, I worked with Peter Gubra and in those days, John Peters, you know, pretty closely r- running the company. What did you st- launch there? What did you launch at uh, at, at Columbia, uh, Sony? How about a league of their own? Oh, my God. Comes to mind. Classic. Penny Marshall and yeah. a, oh, and, that's amazing. Uh, a league of their own. And uh, on to contrast, a league of their own. Again, just as you asked me, my memory is good some of the time and then some of the time not so hot but um uh contrasting a league of their own to a river runs through it you guys know a river runs through it absolutely again a beautiful redford movie yep um uh as as a a contrasting idea and the um Oh gosh, I can't. I can't remember them all. A whole bunch yeah. of my work. No, the that years time, and that years time period. That was the, right, like 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 it was eighties, and now you're up to the nineties. You know, yeah, Eric was I a nineties kid. Uh, up to ninety six, I worked there, right up until nineteen. And then you started out of the blue. Then we started out of the blue. My wife and I started out of the blue. Was able to make a really good deal with Sony. Right. A real good, uh, a real deal, as opposed to here we'll let you produce and then no producing. Right. Um, I was able to make a good deal. My lawyer, Jake Bloom, did a beautiful job in, in negotiating that for us. And that's when we made uh, met Sandler. I met Sandler because a guy said to us, there's this guy, Sandler. He had made uh, the golf movie. Ha- uh, happy, golf Ma- happy, Gilmore. happy Madison. Happy, happy, happy Gilmore. Happy Gilmore. Happy, happy Gilmore. Gilmore. Yeah, it's his production and company. Billy Madison. So Billy Madison. Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison. He had made those two movies. Um, and uh, somebody said, you should see this new movie he has called uh, The Wedding Singer. That's um, an, I love oh, hold that on movie. a second. Go ahead. You'll cut this part. Sure. Hey, Nancy. <laughs> I'm talking to nice guys here. But but wait, are you leaving? Yeah. Okay. I'll be back. Okay. Did you get hold of Mirta? I left a message. Michael, can you a, write down 47 minutes, Michael? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Bye. I kind of don't want to cut that out because that was so like spontaneous. <laughs> okay.
<laughs> do you care? Because if you if don't want to leave it in, that was so natural and no, normal. Of course not. Uh, right. I love it. So as long as she wasn't coming in and like berating you, saying, "What are you doing in here? <laughs> How come you didn't?" Uh, so we, the wedding singer. So we went to a preview of the wedding singer in Los Angeles. Alex Siskin, a guy who worked for me and eventually became my partner. Uh, we went to a preview one night, and it was absolutely sensational. Yep. It was gut-busting. I saw that four then. times, in the, four of or course. five times in the movie it, theater. It, yeah. was gut, it was gut-busting. It was, it was just... Of course. Yes. Yeah. It was so good. So now we go back, I go back to Columbia Pictures. We, have, we had been developing... Uh, it was called Guy Gets Kid in those days. The script was called Guy Gets Kid. And, um, Big Daddy. Yep. Uh, and we you get, I still have that script. You gave me that screenplay when I was Guy in the office. Kid. Guy yep. gets kid. <laughs> yep. You gave me the screen. You go, you want to learn how to write screenplays, Michael? Read this. <laughs> I still have it. I should have brought it on the air with me. But... Oh, good. Tim Hurley, he wrote it. Did a yep. good, of course, did a good job. Um, uh, and we said to the people at uh, the bosses, we were producers. So now we had bosses. I used to be a boss. Now I'm a producer. Hmm. The other side of that coin. <laughs> so, what how said, did... uh, Adam Sandler? And they said, Oh no, Adam Sandler, Happy Gilmore. Uh, I said, Take a look at the wedding singer. And much to her great, wonderful ability to do the right thing, Amy Pascal took a look at, um, at uh, the wedding singer and said, Whoa, and got to know Sandler and and then we developed it with Sandler and Tim Hurley, he is the writer. And there was a moment when Sandler said, I'm not doing the movie. Wow. John Belushi should do the movie. And we met with Belushi uh, because Sandler, I mean, they were, they loved each other. They were the best you mean, friends. Do you mean Chris Farley? I mean, Chris Farley. Thank yeah. you very much. No oh, real? Oh my God! I, I thought so it was because it was. I'm okay. thinking of Jim Belushi. Not I'm Belushi, thinking of Jim Belushi. Chris Farley. Yeah. Of course. Pardon me for that. Chris no, no, Farley would have been so great in that role. He was Chris our, Farley came to our thing. office and really wanted to do the movie. Really what happened? Why didn't he do it? Well, we wanted Sandler to do it. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> and so did the studio. Man, and eventually Farley agreed. I mean, but but Sandler and Farley, the, the, the reason I'm telling you the story, even though I blew the person, was they were such dear, deep friends, you know. The that was way devastating. people are friends sometimes and will do almost anything for each Eric other. and I, Sid, Eric and I worshipped Chris uh, Chris Farley. Chris Farley. Wor worshipped. Yeah. We still, we, we have podcasts about Tommy Boy. And about sandwich. Oh, yeah. Like Michael and I, like from his SNL days when he was the lunch lady and him and Sandler <laughs> were up on stage and they were Adam singing. Adam Sandler was, for, for like, I the, mean, for the, for the Jewish boys on the North Shore of Long Island, there's like, you have to have three <laughs> things. You have to worship Adam Sandler. You have to worship Howard Stern and you have to worship Billy Joel. Boys. Uh, Billy, Billy Joel. Joel. And <laughs> the DC Boys. And otherwise, like, that's the rite of passage for the Jewish boys on Long Island. <laughs> that grew up that grew up in the 80s and 90s that grew up in the 80s and 90s that's exactly right well that How was part of part of my relationship with sandler was kind of like that it started part of the reason again we got we got along so well from the very beginning was sandler said to me right from the beginning remind me of my father 
uh, and it was the Jewishness of me, I think, yeah. that made him think of his dad. In those days, his dad was still alive, but uh, um, so, yeah, I get it. Chris Farley and Sandler and all those and Billy Crystal and all those guys. How hard was um, it, so, Sid? How hard was it to make a movie? Um, uh, to get a movie made as a producer, as an EP, was it as hard as you thought it would be? Yes, I mean no, it was harder than I thought it would be. Really? It was harder, <laughs> even with Sandler, even with you it's know amazing. big movie stars, even with my. You know, it just takes guts and time and energy and and the ability to not walk away from it that's a big part of it you know there, but, were, there like, were many times when i could have said okay we're not making this one i'm in the middle of a situation like that right now my wife nancy and i are are right now in the middle of a situation where we have them we have the script we have the money yet it's still complicated and it will be until we work it out so how it's could my that job. be how could what? that be with your experience how like with your with your career how could why how could it be hard because um they're expensive right right to do one right. of these babies is expensive even if you're making a little low budget one our little Aquila and the bee cost six million dollars jesus we pushed and pulled and talked and begged and cut and redid it and all that stuff for lionsgate to say one day okay go to go for it wow you got it you got the six million dollars but it's six million dollars it's <laughs> not you know it's not it's not a marvel movie it's not a, what'd you say it's not a marvel movie a 200 300 million dollar movie yeah, and you know. then there are the two hundred three million dollars, but that's a whole different gamble. You know, that's a gamble that worked the first and second time, and once it worked the first and second time, and Kevin Feige became the head of it all, right. the whole story there. Uh, Kevin Feige became the head of head of it all. They just knew what they were doing right up until this very day today. You were and on the board there, right? Right on into the future. You were on the board at Marvel. I was on the board for ten years. What was that like? It was great. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. <laughs> of course it was. Great. Of course you know, it was. <laughs> my, my, I'm incredibly fortunate. He says 60s, 70s, you know, all that stuff and everything new and different and all that. When I joined the board of Marvel, Marvel was on its ass. Marvel yep. had just come out of bankruptcy, had just come out of bankruptcy. I remember the stock was at, am I right that it was at two? No, must have been more than two. It was really, really, really in the toilet. It had just come out of bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. So we were starting from nothing. The bankers were on the board. The reason I'm on the board, was on the board, was because somebody said, we should have somebody from Hollywood here, the New York company. Uh, we should have somebody who knows the movie. Did. So Avi Arad, the producer Avi Arad said, I know this guy, Sid Gannis, maybe he could be on the board. And I interviewed with the bankers. 
and with Ike Perlmutter. You know who Ike Perlmutter oh, yeah. is? By yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, and I interviewed with Ike. And they said, okay. He was the CEO of Marvel, right? He was the CEO. He was the CEO of Marvel. Yep. Yeah. And actually, is, you know, even though it's a Disney company, Ike is still uh, the titular head of Marvel and the man who sold Marvel to Disney. Got a few bucks. Just a few. Uh, Good for him. A few shekels. Uh, a few shekels is what they say. What my but dad the used to say. I, I, I gave you that, you know, just out of bankruptcy, is we were able, we had a dream. A couple of guys on the, on, uh, not on the board, but a couple of guys at Marvel had a dream. And I joined them in the dream, as did the board, other board members. Mm -hmm. And the dream was, let's have our own movie company. Uh, let's try to make these movies, instead of licensing them to, uh, you know, Star, um, um, uh, um, um, Spider-Man to right. Sony. Right. Instead of doing Spider-Man to sony and something else to fox let's do it ourselves right let's own the stuff and of course to start a movie company you know is huge but we put it together slowly but surely we put it together and then it was time to figure out what our first movie would be and iron man said one of the guys said iron how about iron man yeah. now you have to remember in back then when somebody said, how about Iron Man? Iron Man was, you know, the fans knew what Iron Man was, but not, you know, not the general world out there. Yeah, they he wasn't Spider mainstream. Spider-Man right. was the known entity. Right. And the Hulk, to some degree, was a known entity. But not Iron Man. He was a comic book. Right. And then somebody said, let's cast Robert Downey, Downey Jr., and Robert Downey Jr. had just come off of some really tough years, personally. Yep. Really, really tough years. Which is when I, the movie guy, said, can we insure Robert Downey Jr.? Who knows whether we can. Turned out we could insure Robert Downey Jr. So we made Iron Man. And as we did that, we created, you know, what is now Marvel Entertainment, Marvel Studios. And, uh, but we did it from scratch. You know, Did, we, we, did they know... Did they know the 10 year? Did you know the 10 year plan? Did you know that it was going to be, you know, it was going to start at Iron Man and, and have a, a continuity of Captain America and the Winter Soldier and then go the to the war? The answer is, Michael, good, really good question. The answer is, we didn't know the 10 year plan, but we did know we understood the first wave, Iron Man. Right. And then the first and a half wave and the Hulk, and we talked about Captain America, right. and we, you know, and on and on, but no. And eventually, I mean, way back in the thing, and I'm a, I'm a comic book person in the, in the sense that when I was a kid, I would read DC comics, not Marvel comics, but DC oh, wow. comics. Um, uh, uh, so I really didn't know the Marvel characters that well, knew all the DC guys, but, but, you know, I had vaguely understood what the Avengers was. And, you know, we talked about it. But no, it wasn't anywhere in stone. Hulk was in stone, I think. Mm -hmm. We knew what we, we knew we were working on a script for Hulk. But we needed to get that first Iron Man up and running. Right. And we we're did. And we were fortunate. And then the marketing came into it. And throughout this whole thing, 
I would like you both to know that no matter what I was doing, uh, I was in the marketing part of it, of course, you know, mm -hmm. uh, working with other professionals, you know, now the new version of marketing men and women and uh, being able to help and collaborate with them. So was there yeah. were there similarities between like the early days at Lucasfilm and then the early days at Marvel like that or the yeah the, the, re, the sure. rebirth the, the sure yeah because it was about the vision of John Favreau in those early days you know I mean right. it, there was no person there was no Lucas no there was no Lucas right. so Kevin Fe was, uh, huh Ke Kevin Feige, Feige was is that how you pronounce his last name Michael but Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige. was the kid working for, you know, sitting at the knee of Avi Arad, the producer Avi Arad. Kevin was, I mean, I, you know, I, I started out as the office boy. Kevin wasn't quite the office boy, but right. he was still the, the, the associate producer, something like that. But right. he knew the material. He knew the universe of mm -hmm. Marvel. And um, eventually there was a day when, when, it, when we had the studio and there was a question about who was going to run the studio. And I mean, Kevin, Kevin probably would tell you, I'm not so sure. He might tell you that he wasn't making a lot of money at all. He was, he wasn't the assistant and he wasn't the associate producer, but he wasn't the big shot, not by right. any stretch of the imagination. But one day somebody said, what about Kevin Feige? I think it was me. Uh, and then others started listening. And eventually Kevin was handed the reins of Marvel Entertainment, Marvel Studios. How did you get involved yeah. with the Academy, Sid? Uh, years ago when I was working at... Uh, at um, Columbia Pictures in New York City, uh, we had a movie called Behold a Pale Horse with Anthony Quinn and Gregory Peck. And remember I said at Columbia Pictures, I started dealing with talent. So Gregory Peck was a person I dealt with a lot. He came into New York to promote the movie and uh, he and his wife Veronique were my charges. So they, you know, I, I helped them get through all the stuff. Gregory Peck, huge star, of course, iconic star by sure. then. Right. Beyond his stardom now, he was older and, you know, beyond that kind of superstardom, but still iconic. And, um, and that was that. I worked with him. It was great. One little story about that. Uh, there was a screening of this movie, Be uh, a premiere of the movie Behold a Pale Horse, Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, my ex-wife, Kathy, nice, wonderful woman, and I were at the, you know, went to the, oh, we were in the limousine going to the screening. Was it a BLS? And now the uh, limousine stops and we get out of the car. And in the car was Gregory Peck and his wife, Veronique. And it so happened we got out of the car at the same instant and I turned to him and I said, oh, hi, Greg. And my wife, Kathy, said, you called him Greg? <laughs> <laughs> she thought, you know, lightning was going to cut. So, Sid, but anyway, what... so Greg Repeck. So, so now 
Gregory Peck is the president of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. I didn't know that. And yes, he was for four years back in the, maybe in the early 60s, uh, late 60s, something like that. And uh, I applied. Why did I apply? For the same reason that I've been talking to you guys this whole time. It was something that I was curious about and wanted to be in because, well, I just wanted to be accepted by the film industry because I need that. Who of us? Well, I don't know about you two, but I know I need to be loved and I wanted to be loved by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and sure. Sciences. So I, got, so I applied to the Academy and I got a rejection. I said, thank you very much, but uh, no, you don't qualify. So I thought, hmm, who do I know? <laughs> so I wrote a letter. I found the letter about a year ago. I found the letter I wrote to Gregory Peck. Dear Mr. Peck, do you remember me? I'm Sid Gannis. I work with you on Behold a Pale Horse, blah, blah, blah. I'm a young executive wanting to be in the academy. I know there are qualifications, blah, blah, blah. I'm getting there. I'm doing great. Next thing I know, I was in the academy. <laughs> So it so it real it's an industry of it's not what you know it's who you know. No, it's not. <laughs> the qualifications are loaded and difficult and impossible, Michael. <laughs> not impossible at all, but tough. But in this case, it was who you know. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> Next I, thing I knew. I wanted to, I wanted to ask when you said a limo. I I said I know you were in the middle of the story. Was it a BLS oh. limo? Was it a BLS it limo? I think it was before BLS. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. We were not. What did you say? The first time I took a BLS limo, you guys didn't own it. Oh, my God. Really? Wow. Please tell us this story, Sid. Please. Like, we want to hear this. Named Al. You must know. What's his name? Al. 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 Al from BLS. Get out. God. That's how I got to BLS. Somebody told me, call Al. And I did. Eric, thank you for that. It was Al Altman, right? Al Altman. It was Al, yeah. Al, Al, Al Altman. Oh, yeah. that's a beauty. That makes all this. You don't have to pay me for doing this. You just <laughs> <made me better. laughs> yeah, no, Al, Al Altman. He, I called he, Al Altman, and, we, and he started driving me around. Where? L.A. or the East Coast? LA. He was L.A. He was L.A. And our, we were, and our mom we and dad were East Coast. Right. Our mom and dad were on the East Coast. Yeah. And he found my parents because the, he needed a representation in New York. He was, you know, that, that was before like affiliates ever existed in our right. business. And he picked us up. He eventually uh, went into buses and he went out of business. And then my parents picked up the name and the rest is right. history. The rest is history. Uh, were your parents in that business before when Al found them? Yeah, they were. They owned a company called Four Star Limousine in New York, and it was my uh -huh. dad. My dad hustling the Empire State Building. Yeah, that, uh -huh. that that was it. And then my mom was in. My dad. My mom was in the office in the kitchen answering the phones. <laughs> and then you know through connections in in the limo world, much like yours, you know we got connected to to Al through this guy by the name of Mel Lightman who used to hustle uh -huh. with my dad and he offered it to Mel, but Mel wasn't into that. He just, you know, liked to be a hustler, so to speak. And I absolutely, Eric, as you're telling that story, I actually, I absolutely remember little Al Altman. I, I somehow, I mean, you really flashed me back just then. 
Yeah, no, but that was. How, so it was before. This was when I was still living in New York. So it was before BLS. My so. dad, my dad, up until the last few months of his life, would always tell Eric and I the story of how he walked onto the Paramount lot barefoot, and he was <laughs> able to come into your office when no one else. <laughs> On the Paramount lot, <laughs> David Oaken is here, and Sid said, "Come on in, David. Come on in." And he goes, "And I was there barefoot. Our dad used to walk around barefoot. We don't know why, but that was he. I mean, yeah, he, he did. He used to call you Uncle Sid, and my mom. He did yeah. call me Uncle Sid, he and did. I wouldn't be surprised if Phyllis still doesn't answer the phone. I bet she does." Does she? I, our mom kind of transitioned. She's the CEO of the company, but she's written 80 children's books. Oh, right. And she, has, right. she has this whole career of writing books, as do I, right? Shameless plug, right? Monsterland. Right. And, you know, I, I actually have a meeting with a screenwriter right, right after our, our, our podcast about converting it to a, uh, to a screenplay, uh, my book. But, you know, it really, mom's still heavily involved. It's, it's her life and, she became a medium on top of, you know, yeah. ru running the day to day pre COVID um, just pre COVID. We had right around 750 employees. Right. Wow. And, um, now obviously COVID, you know, we got hurt, but luckily they're making movies again. So we're, we're inching back up now. Yeah. Sid, what's your, what, well, what, what's the next, the next 10 years for you? What, like, what are you going to do for the next, <clears throat> what, what are the 2020s well, look like for you? I'm old, first of no, all, you're, I'm old, so. you're just starting out. When has that ever stopped you? You look amazing. It hasn't. It, it hasn't, but so hopefully good health. Let's start with that one. That's all that matters. Yes. I'm, I must say I spent a good part of uh, Sunday night and yesterday uh, virtually in shul mm -hmm. um, just because I wanted to, not because I'm a religious person, mm -hmm. but because I'm, a, I guess you'd say, a spiritual person and sure. I wanted to be in shul. And the good news there, fellas, is that Nancy, who's not Jewish, but knows of my, you know, like many Jews, I go one, once or twice a year to shul and all that. And, mm -hmm. um, but I sincerely go, you know. Um, I said to Nance, now she didn't have to go anywhere. I said, hey, you come listen to Kol Nidre. Uh, um, and she did. And she talks about it now. I've been talking about it for two days. <laughs> my non-who, my shikta wife. <laughs> talking about it for two it's Sid, um, Sid, I have I just I have a recommendation for you. You have to put this all down on paper. You have yeah. to you have to write your your book. You have to. These stories are going to be lost forever. You represent old school Hollywood. It doesn't even exist now. You know, the Hollywood that you're talking about, the Stanley Kubricks, these are great stories. These I mean, are stories it would, be, it would be appreciated. Everyone would well, buy your book. I mean, I know I yeah. You I've should. been thinking about it, you know. My friend Hawk Koch, uh Howard Koch Jr. Hawk yeah. is his name. Um just did. He wrote uh his version of that. He's a little younger than me, but been around for a long time. His father was a major person in mm -hmm. the business for years and grew up in it and went through the trials and tribulations. The book was well received. So that mm -hmm. did inspire me a little bit to do it. But ten years going forward, yeah. good health. Yeah, number we, one. As I said, we have this movie that we're about to, hopefully, about to make soon. And Nancy has four great, important, cool projects. Uh, all of them based around World War II. All mm -hmm. of them. 
four of them, one very difficult, one less difficult, one great fun, one adventure story. So we hope to move ahead with that. And then there's the Academy. The Academy, because of Gregory Peck, and Michael, I promise you, I swear to you, it was who you know, but it's not who you know. It's hard work and all that stuff. Too. Of course. Uh, uh, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, Sid, you indulged me in a fantasy when I wrote my first screenplay in college. And my mom and dad made a call to you and said, our son Michael is an aspiring screenwriter. Would you would you have him up and, and talk about it? And you gave oh, me yeah. you gave me yeah. that experience. And I've done it several times after, but you were the first one to say, Go work for mom and dad's limousine service and don't stop writing. And literally right. it's course. twenty it's twenty-five years later, and it's exactly what I'm still doing. Of course. I, I never stop writing and I'm I'm still working for mom and Good. dad's limousine service. Good, Good on both counts. <laughs> on all counts. And you inspired your mother to be a writer too. That's but absolutely. Uh, the academy, I gotta tell you, here's the thing, and it's a big thing in my life. The academy. I've been involved in the academy for years. You know, I was the pres and I've been on the board for many, many years, including right now. A dream, another dream. You know, maybe I should write some of this stuff down now that you're. Uh, I hope you do. My dream wasn't my dream. It was Douglas Fairbanks' dream when he started this whole academy thing in 1920 something, 23 or 29 or something. We're going to build a museum, he said back then. And when I was president in. Um, Nine, uh, 2005, I said, we're going to build a museum. The museum is almost built. Amazing. The museum is almost built. Uh, it's built, except it can't open, right. of course. Sure, of course. Uh, and it's not ready to open yet, but it's built. Every opening exhibit is done and in place. and uh, Not in place yet. It's being built, and mm. we know exactly what it's going to be. And my goal, it's not, the, it's not the next 10 years, it's the next two or three years, is to open it with the museum people. I mean, there's a whole group of men and women uh, from business and philanthropy and show business mm -hmm. involved in seeing to it. It's separate from the Academy a little bit. It's called mm -hmm. the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures, but it's separate. It has to be separate. It's a separate entity. Um, this is in LA, the museum. Yeah. LA, it's yeah. it's on uh, it's on um, uh, it's on Wilshire and Fairfax, right on okay. the corner of oh Wilshire my God. And Fairfax. So it's in the museum uh, district, right near LACMA. It's right. where there was an old department store there called the May Company, and it was it's in the building that was formerly the May Company. So big high ceilings, department store from the thirties, mm -hmm. big high ceiling, mm -hmm. you know, great wonderful spaces and all that stuff. I want to see it work. I want to see it work. You know what? It's a legacy of mine. The movie's fine. You know, I, I and I mean fine. But this museum... It's yeah, for the, it's for the love of what you the, do. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it is. It's the expression of what I love. And, you know, around... It'll have my name somewhere on the wall there, somewhere. I know. So I just I just want to say for the audience, for everyone's frame of reference, Sid keeps saying that he's old because he doesn't look his age. And he, Sid's 80 years old. 
I just want to let everybody know that because he 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 looks great. Jesus, Eric. I I, ha I have to say it. I have to say it because because you're still making movies. What you and, accomplished and that, and that and and your career and and it's so amazing because obviously you're doing it for the love of of doing it. Yeah, that's what keeps me going. I think Sid, and my family. By the way, Eric. By by the reason I'm hanging in. How about the three grandkids? Of course. You know? Oh, forget it. How about Nancy, who whips me in shape, so to speak? You that's know, what, that's what wives do. Uh, that's what they do, <laughs> and uh, and my four daughters. You know, I have four girl girl four daughters, and then I have three boy grandsons. So you know, you're blessed. So, you're blessed beyond belief. I so. am. Listen. I am. I am. Blessed. You're blessed, Sid. Thank you a million times over. Write oh, this well. book, please. I want, I like, I would love to see, like, like we got an hour and twenty minutes out of you. I would like to see like a four hundred page novel of the stories <laughs> of what you've accomplished because you really you have a storied career. I man. think it would be appreciated, and I think it would. Uh, we we'd certainly read it. The because... lessons that the lessons that you've learned along the way. I mean, you know, it, you are. Thank you for you, what you've done by doing you've said it now a couple of times michael and eric is you got me thinking again about it eh, i got other stuff i gotta do i gotta watch the debate tonight for good oh, sake don't even right. play <laughs> 350 million americans and these are the two that we picked to run our country i i <laughs> I, 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 I don't even go there i, I don't even want to start with the politics. we didn't go there we didn't I, I, please i i don't even i don't even know where to begin i don't even know. sid um are you on social media at all are you like young and hip and cool with social media i am young and hip and cool but i'm not on social media i'm on facebook i think i am listen to Is me that social media i i guess so sid join join <laughs> yes. linkedin Join LinkedIn. Find a lot of talent there, maybe. Go on Twitter. You know, like you have. You a would have a. You would I have a. You would have a great platform on Twitter. You really would. You would have a million followers before you would know it. I'd have to ask the seventeen-year-old grandson Isaac, "How That's did you all do that stuff?" That's yeah. And he'll That's tell me. Absolutely. Did you have fun, Sid? You enjoyed this. You enjoyed. I love what? this. Thank, Thank you, you, Eric. Thank, Thank you, you, Michael. Thank you, Sid. How very Thank you, cool Sid. of you. More important than all of this is. You know, a hug to Phyllis. That's a good Thank thing. You. A hug I appreciate to that. And, and we will. Okay. She was thrilled. You should have seen when we said we have Sid coming on. She <laughs> she screamed. She was over the moon. <laughs> hang on one second. We're gonna log off now, but just hang on the air and we're gonna uh we're gonna sign yeah. off now. Everybody, Everybody like go ahead, like, like, subscribe, leave comments, and when Sid comes out with his his memoir, make sure you <laughs> buy it. And his next movie we'll we're gonna go see. Thanks oh, everybody. Bye everyone. Bye everybody. <laughs>